0: to power producers shop talk where we are refining and redefining the sales game by equipping you with the tools you need to differentiate yourself in the marketplace tactical skills that will help you provide deliverable value to your clients and prospects
1: here these are conversations that will differentiate you from your competition now if you don't want to be different than your
0: competition probably should just go ahead and shut this up. <laughs> and action items that you can provide to take your prospects and clients to the next level
2: like when we audit the mod and get into and the mod master and and give them the actionable items that they can that they can do in order to lower their cost of risk
0: this is power producers shop talk production redefined
2: Reasonable and what wasn't, and and I think that you know that's that's spot on. I and mean, you know these people that we're talking with don't necessarily understand what their exposures are and what they can even do about them, um, you know, when they're uncovered. So I, I do like that. What we're able to provide is something tangible, action items that they can do.
0: Are you ready to feel the power? Hey everybody, welcome to the
1: Power Producers Shut Up episode nineteen. What's up? Total cost to risk again, man. How do they use it?
2: The t core. It's like, making a second appearance.
1: Dude, look, we unpacked it in the last episode. Unpacked
2: it. <laughs> and we're back.
1: Yeah, I got to get away from that because unfortunately I'm going to inadvertently use it. And then I and will. Then it's just
2: going it. to become a habit and you're going to actually be the unpack it guy.
1: I will. I'll be that guy. And I'm not going to be that guy. Could you imagine... Oh gosh, no! I'm not even going to. But I mean, I think it's important. We've talked about how you calculated, like what's included. At least the quick and dirty. I want to use total cost to risk at the point of sale application version as opposed to the Johnny Tweeds, Johnny Harvard, and the yeah,
2: not not the uh, you know down to the dollar calculation of it, but just a a generalization of how what goes into it and how you can use it.
1: Unfortunately, I am afraid that I'm going to have to. Get a little bit more precise in my calculation if I'm going to represent myself as Lord Carruthers going forward. (laughs) Uh, It's
2: it's only right.
1: I, you know, I misspoke on the last episode that 89.95 was not just for one title; it's his and hers combo, so (laughs) it could be Lord David and Lady Andrea going Uh, forward, which would be epic, man.
2: It would be, I mean, it would spice things up a little bit. I mean, my favorite
1: thing. Let me just go ahead and throw this out there because I know you and your sense of humor well enough to know you will love this. The paid ad in my Facebook (laughs) news feed showed up and the whole premise of it was tired of not getting respect anywhere you go. (laughs) Anywhere? Anywhere. Anywhere. no respect anywhere. time Time out. You don't even know where this is headed. So, what do you think the image was? What do you think the image was that was they were trying to get people to sign up to buy a one by one piece of land in Scotland so they could get a lordship title. What do you think that what do you think that grabber was? what what really made me want to click on that?
2: I, I don't even know like I, I don't even have a reasonable guess. I would say, I mean like a sad, old, bald mm-hmm. little man, I don't know. <laughs>
1: Absolutely not! It was a gentleman's picture on his Costco card, and it clearly, said <laughs> <laughs> clearly, clearly said his "Lord." Costco Mexico. card. It is literally on my Facebook page right now. I, I shared it. I had to. Pay it.
2: You want to? You want your Costco card to look like this?
1: Yeah, I'm only running with lords and ladies going forward, people. I'm sorry, you're gonna have to shell out the coin if you want to hang with me.
2: <laughs> oh, every time I hear "lord" and "lady," I think of. Game of Thrones, and then that reminds me how disappointed I was as to how it ended. And now I'm just now I'm just pissed that you brought this up. Actually, so I think I'm gonna hop off of this and let you just fly <laughs> solo because
1: every time I hear Lady, I think of Lady Gaga and the fact she wore clothing made out of meat, real meat, at one point.
2: Yes, yeah. Well,
1: that'll that'll bring you back away from Game of Thrones in a hurry.
2: Yeah, it, it's definitely a, quite a different image. Um, but I mean. Is that really, like, who doesn't want to wear, like, a meat a meat coat?
1: This guy right here, actually, right? Because I sit in my office with the air conditioning off, sipping on my hot Nespresso in yeah. jeans and cowboy boots. Come on. And people can't see me right now, but People can't see me right now, but I did just take a screenshot
2: of me. Right? How much are you sweating? You have to be sweating your ass off.
1: I'm sweating profusely, but my favorite thing is I did a screenshot and posted on my personal Facebook pages, and said, I just realized when I looked up that between these circular glasses and the camo hat, I look like Radar from MASH, except fatter.
2: That's before my time, dude. But yeah, I'm sure I, other I, people will get it. I mean, I, I believe you. I, I believe you.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm like, I could be anybody but fatter. That's an easy thing to
2: say. <laughs> <laughs> Not for long. Tired of getting no respect anywhere yeah, that you no go. <laughs> tired of being disrespected at Costco with your stupid card.
1: Come see Lord Fatty. <laughs> <laughs> He's Buy a plot
2: so, of God. land in Scotland for eighty nine ninety five, and then you'll get respect.
1: Like, also, just in case anybody happens to check this out, the other cool part is like, go read the comments. Like, the obvious is there. Like,
2: Might what do it right now.
1: Yeah. You know, what happens when everybody shows up to claim their, <laughs> their one yeah. by one land? How much? How much
2: land is there? I mean, does Scotland just have like a surplus of land? I mean,
1: I don't, I don't know, but like. Are there going to be people who actually fly over to Scotland in demand
2: to just, like, see their land and, like, set foot yeah. on it? Yeah. And then yeah. you've also got to just, like, step all over everybody else's land. So that's that that's trespassing, and that's punishable by
1: <laughs> – I don't know how I can be – let me tell you how lords handle things in West Virginia. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know how i can have a one by one piece of land in scotland and not buy a plane ticket go over there and urinate around the perimeter of that to mark my territory Mark your
2: territory yeah you gotta do it keep uh keep other keep other lords and ladies off your turf man
1: yeah you got to so anyhow total cost of risk we've defined it we've done some level of calculation now what do you do with it right what so one of the first things that they do that you're using your total cost of risk for is because it helps you make informed risk management decisions.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: This is when I went through the National Alliance and got my CRM designation. I it wasn't one of those things where it was overly painful for me because I just sat in there and absorbed everything they said, like it was like I was a sponge. And what's, I, I what's was, that
2: look like? What's the, I mean, what's, what's the hours? What's the, uh, what's the certification process on that? Is it, is it like the CIC or not even, yeah?
1: Yeah, it's the same as the CIC. Gotcha. So now that we've actually calculated the total cost of risk to a certain degree and defined what components are in it. You got to talk to people about how companies use it and how they can relay to their clients they can in prospects that they can use total cost to risk. And the first thing is it helps people make informed risk management decisions. Okay. One of the benefits like when I went through my CRM, I loved it. Like I and, and I hate school. I mean, my God, it took me eight years to get through college.
2: So me go lots going, of people go to school for eight years.
1: Yeah, they're doctors. I get it. New guy puking in the corner. <laughs> um any anyhow don't even start going down dude i
2: can't i can't help it anytime i hear that it's i just have to
1: you have officially lost me at this point lord (laughs) lord tommy Um, (laughs) but anyhow i actually absorbed everything like a sponge man because it was such a different approach and the thing is when you're going in there i think over time now it's become more and more agents that are getting that designation because of the way that it plays with the CIC and the fact that you only have to take a total of nine classes instead of 10 to get both designations because one of them will count for both.
2: Hmm. Um, Interesting.
1: But I just loved sitting there and listening to how companies would make decisions for risk management based off a total cost, uh, cost of risk and also running financial calculations, like internal rate of return and all of those things. Now I'm going to, you know, look, making informed risk management decisions doesn't always mean that those are going to be good. Right. And and, And what I mean by that is, I think everybody at this point knows the story of the Pinto, the Ford Pinto, right. And where it was a massive hazard because of the design and where the gas tank was placed. It literally if somebody bumped your bumper your car could explode from the That's pinto. awesome and ford made the decision
2: how did that pa- like how did that pass it, like make it to where it was, it I, was a I vehicle I, on the streets
1: yeah i wish i could tell you how that happened so basically they ran these numbers and they determined that it would be cheaper for them to leave the pinto on the market and just take the gamble of paying out death claims then it would be for them to recall
2: it. How right? is that even possible?
1: Well, they knew their total cost to risk, Kyle, I guess, is what they what they figured out. But I mean, that's one example of people who are looking at you know financial implications of risk management. A, a better one is if a, a company is looking to invest in like a risk management information system for some of the larger companies, which we're not even going to talk about because that doesn't even enter the realm. Of, of the accounts that we go after, you know, maybe in the upper upper middle market, you get into remits and all of that, but um, really like running the internal rate of return on an investment of money into a specific risk management initiative. So if they wanted to bring in a consulting group to work on industrial hygiene, because they've had a number of claims that were resulting around something that would be impacted by that, they could take the dollar figure in, project what the, the, the decrease in losses would be year over year, take the current net present value of the current dollar spent and determine what the buyback period would be for them to break even on investing in that. So mm-hmm. I know that sounds like really convoluted and crazy, and it's probably probably not something that we're ever going to see too much in the, you know, middle market stuff we play with. But just interesting to me to see that you can take this stuff and really make business decisions yeah. through using the things that are happening in total cost of risk. So making informed risk management decisions is one Um, you know, the other thing is once you make those decisions, say you have an initiative that you're trying to launch or whatever, you got to be able to benchmark your progress. So if you know what the total cost of risk is, you can use that to benchmark your process, your, your progress in these things. And now you have something quantifiable that you can run with. Um, helping promote safety and risk management initiatives. You know, if you know your total cost of risk. Maybe it's okay for you to say, look, our total cost of risk is decreased by $300,000 over the course of the last three years. Put
2: together some sort of contest or something.
1: Yeah. We would really like to put together a risk management incentive plan. And I mean, listen, I'm a big, big fan of behavioral based safety incentive plans. Like I want people to know that we want them, we're going to reward them for doing the right things. And so you know, it's not expensive. It is far less expensive to put an incentive program in place where you reward the behaviors you want to see so that people replicate them. And then you redirect the behaviors you don't want to see. Hello, loyal listeners. Hey, are you a local agent struggling to find markets for your client? Maybe you, maybe not. Don't settle for less. Do more with MBS. For more information about nationwide brokerage solutions, visit nbsbrokerage.com. Cast
2: certified. So, we've What's the had- most creative one that you've seen? Didn't you have a story about one that somebody put in place? Um, I, yeah,
1: I do. And I think I've talked about it on the podcast before, but I can... I
2: remember. You've also talked about how you were in grocery stores on the podcast before. So-
1: yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, that was a good one. And and I usually boil it down into a basic one, too. So, I mean, the best one we ever had was a a group where they had, and I'm not going to go through the gory details of the story because it it would take too long. But um, it was a manufacturing facility. They had issues. Mod escalated. The short story is the CEO owned it, said it's my fault. I'm going to change this. I'm going to drive the change and hired us to go in and do what we needed to do to help him put those things in place. We put leadership and accountability programs in place for the mid-level management so that they owned the process. As it rolled out, we improved communications between frontline employees and supervisors and the C-suite in the organization. And we put a safety incentive program in place. And it was cool because this guy's last name was Maxwell and we created Maxwell Money. I mean, that's what we did. There it is. Yeah, yeah. And, and Maxwell Money was essentially monopoly money. Right. That had this guy's caricature on the cover of it and or on the on the face of it. And he just carried around wads of Maxwell money. He would go into the manufacturing. making it, it rain
2: it, on the floor.
1: Make <laughs> it rain. The only thing he was missing was Neo next to him, you know like awesome. but anyhow, um, he would go in at three in the morning. He'd go in at midnight. He'd go in first part of the day, whatever. And his whole existence was going around and making sure that if he saw somebody wearing their personal protective equipment, or if they're working on a machine and they had properly done the lockout tag out or any of this stuff, he's hammering them with Maxwell money. Did,
2: did he take away money if somebody wasn't wearing PPE?
1: No, we would redirect. We would have that conversation um, because we don't want to give them too much attention. and I'll explain that in a minute, but he would give them this money. And at the end of the end of the month, they could go to the HR uh, HR department where they had their prize closet and they could cash in <laughs> their Maxwell money for gift cards to restaurants or the movies or How
2: come we don't have a prize closet.
1: I feel like we do have a prize closet. I
2: feel, I feel like we should turn instead of, instead of your idea of the video recording in the back office there, that should be a prize closet. And I should get that. I should get to drive down once a week and peruse the prize closet and just just see what's in there, you know. I
1: don't I don't think you've been to Tampa since I've installed the second large black metal cabinet that is the prize closet. We have one right now.
2: <laughs> I haven't. I have not been down there.
1: It has all of the t-shirts, all of the hats, the gummy bears, everything that I would consider to be a prize. True. I might might randomly throw a gift card in there for you if that's what motivates you, but yeah, that's the deal, man. We we do have the prize closet at this point. But I mean, you know, it worked really, really well. Now, the yep. whole premise of catching people doing something right boils down to the book Whale Done by Ken Blanchard that mm. takes a that took the SeaWorld trainers that train the killer whales at SeaWorld and is Killer Whales politically correct or do I have to call them orcas now? Because I think everybody calls them orcas because they were getting their feelings hurt over killer <laughs> whales. I, I, don't I,
2: I hate people. Everyone, just shut up. Just shut (laughs) up.
1: (laughs) But anyhow, it was all around how they were um, training them. And the the premise is that you give people attention and you reward them for the behaviors that you want to see so that they Mm -hmm. will replicate those. But you don't make a big deal about when they're not giving you the right behavior and they're doing the wrong thing. You just simply positively redirect them the way that you want them to go because subconsciously – your mind has you replicate those behaviors that get you attention. Mm -hmm. And so it's just like kids, man, you know, when your kids are misbehaving, like how many times do I have to say, cut it out, you two, to Ethan and Caroline, like 10 times every night when they're wrestling, fighting, whatever. And then you sit back and look, it's like, well, that's because that's the only time I've interacted with them. So instead of me screaming at them to stop it, I just get on the floor and wrestle with them and then it stops. Sure. Know, after, after I give Caroline a pile driver and, you know, throw Ethan, you know, outside the, the window, <laughs> match, just throw him outside the proverbial ring like a lumberjack match, uh, you
2: know,
1: it's over. No, but I mean, it, it makes sense. You know, you see that. In, in when you read, when you know, after reading that book, I started paying attention and studying different people that I would interact with. And I found that to be relatively accurate.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think people respond to that uh, better than than the negative Reinforcement on that.
1: Yeah, I think the other thing too, though, is it goes back to what I have said before. Okay. If you want to go into a facility that's having problems and you want to drive change, people, by the way, if you've not taken notes about Lord and Lady and Tommy Boy and Radar from MASH and all that other stuff, get your pencil out right now because this is where you're going to have some change driven. In how you approach things, and if you're already doing this, I'd like to reward you by saying "add a boy" or "add a girl," because we want to reward those positive behaviors. And if you're not, I'm going to positively redirect you by having you pull out your pencil and some paper, and I'm going to give you three things you can ask every single one of your clients or prospects that will definitely get their attention. And it's the same three questions I ask every single time that I go into a new account. Number one. How do you measure quality? How do you measure the quality of the item that you're manufacturing? If you're a plumbing company, how do you measure the quality of your service calls? Well, in a plumbing company, it might be the number of callbacks that they have based on poor workmanship that they have to go back and fix two, three times. A manufacturing facility, it might be the number of rejects that are in a specific batch or per batch. You know, everybody that is in manufacturing or some sort of a measurable service occupation, I can assure you beyond a shadow of a doubt has a metric for quality 100% Mm -hmm. of the time. You have to. And so they'll spit that out. Boom. Here's how we do it. And they're going to be proud. The next thing you're going to ask is, how do you measure productivity? Well, if you're in a retail environment, it might be sales per man hour. If you're in a manufacturing facility, it might be number of widgets produced per hour or whatever, Mm -hmm. right? But I can assure you, again, that when you talk to operationally inclined people, they're going to be able to rattle off not only how they measure quality, but how they measure productivity. Yep. And keep in mind that when I'm talking to people, most of the time, it's the sick. It's the people who have had issues in their mod or whatever else. So naturally, my next question would be, how do you measure safety? Mm Mm-hmm. And it's crickets, right? Nobody has metrics,
2: right? Yeah. I mean, I feel, and I think we talked about this before too, but I feel like the common answer there is amount, you know, amount of injuries or frequency of injuries or or claims.
1: Yeah. You can measure frequency and severity. You can measure number of hours worked without claims or, I mean, you know, whatever you choose, but nobody has a benchmark for that. Most Most of the time people measure safety they measure it by, oh, crap, I just got my mod. It went up by 30 points. I'm in trouble now. Not good. That's not okay. a good thing to do. So you have to go in and you have to determine. You know, number one, you got to be able to put this in their language. They have to be able to understand it. It's not something where you can just go in there and randomly you know, say, here's how we're going to do it and give them this massive formula you know, that they have to calculate. It's gotta be, what do you want it to be? Is it number of days worked? Is it whatever? And I mean, for us, that's that's the holy grail for me. When I calculate total cost of risk, what I wanna do is I wanna show them how many days they have to operate and an assumed sales volume and an assumed profit margin Mm -hmm. to cover that total cost of risk. That will get their attention. Yep. You know, and so if you get if you can go in and you can ask those three questions and you can translate it into language that they understand, then you're you're in the driver's seat at that point. Right. By a long shot. So I think that, you know, that's good information for any agent or producer to go out. I mean, I've you know, the last two episodes has given people pure gold. Pure gold to right. go in and, and talk about, and I'm not saying that because it's what we do and what we use. I'm telling you because this this works, people. I mean, I'm sharing with you how I've been able to build a multi million dollar book at multiple agencies, and it's by asking questions like that and what we had on the prior episode regarding total cost to risk. Take these questions and use them not only to develop your initiatives, but first use them to drive a wedge to make these people become your client. And then they can become the basis of the relationship, what you're going to do to drive change in their organization once they do.
2: And I think I think what this shows, too, is it's not overly technical stuff. You know, we're not getting deep in the weeds of insurance stuff. I mean, nothing really that we've talked about has been even insurance related other than we talked about the premiums, um, you know, briefly, because it's a, a portion of the total cost of risk. But these are all questions that that you can ask to basically any prospect that you go into and they're going to, they're, they're, it's it's not industry specific, you know, you can tweak it and, and, and make it fit whoever you're sitting there in front of. Um, but I think this should help people with that conversation and breaking down what, what components are actually a part of total cost of risk and how they're going to impact that individual prospect that they're sitting in front of.
1: I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. I don't know that we can give them much more on this episode, man. I think I think that's enough to go out and have some people do some damage.
2: I agree. I'm out, Lord Carruthers.
1: Later, man. I hope everybody has an excellent weekend. See ya.